Hey now, welcome to Random Movie Club. I'm your host, Rob Logan. In each episode, I sit down with a co-host to discuss any movie of their choosing. The only qualification is that the movie is available to watch at home on DVD, Blu-ray, or digital. Before you listen to this show, I highly recommend that you watch the movie we're going to talk about, because we're going to spoil everything. Also, at the end of the episode, I'll tell you which movie we're going to discuss next, so you have enough time to watch it. If you enjoy Random Movie Club, you can help keep it going by supporting us on Patreon. Supporters get special benefits like bonus episodes, patron-only events, giveaways, and more. Show your support for Random Movie Club and The Geek Generation by visiting our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com support. On this episode, I'll be discussing Split with Tadriel. Let's roll the film. Split was released in 2016 from director M. Night Shyamalan. Also written by Shyamalan, the film stars James McAvoy, Anya Taylor-Joy, and Betty Buckley. Todd. Yeah. <laughs> the first big question. <laughs> Why did you choose Split? So we watched this as a community how many months ago? Oh, man, I don't even remember. Yeah, it was it was a while back. I want to say maybe beginning of this year mm. and we watched it in conjunction with unbreakable so we mm -hmm. first watched unbreakable and then we all got hyped and watched split afterward so i was kind of just in it mm. like i was very much so in the realm of like this world that he was creating for us and it messed me up the first time i watched it like i was uncomfortable i remember telling you in chat like i remember we were in the um video with everyone and saying, okay, guys, I hate to be this person, but I might have to leave because I am uncomfortable right mm -hmm. now. Uh, like, I remember specifically feeling that in specific moments. Um, and I decided to stick with it. And I decided to watch it with you guys. And it really, it just affected me, uh, mm. I think, emotionally and really resonated with me. And as soon as you said you were bringing RMC back, I was like, okay, I have like a three list or three movies that I'd love to talk about. And this was like the top one. So yeah, it just, I think, even going back and being a little bit more critical the second time, mm -hmm. I still, and I've I've even gone online and I, I like to kind of take in other people's opinions about the stuff that I'm trying to critique myself. And even with so many people that hate this movie, I can't seem to bring myself to feel the same. Mm. And yeah, I think that is is a powerful thing, at least for me. And uh, the timing is no accident either, because we are releasing this. <laughs> right as glass is set to come out in theaters which i'm so exciting. insanely excited about <laughs> yeah me too so before we get into the movie itself as i always do i go on to imdb and scrounge for a whole bunch of trivia and there is a lot of good stuff here a lot of it is the stuff that links it to unbreakable which is also really interesting too nice so m night Shyamalan stated that shooting this film was the most challenging of his career <gasps> interesting i wonder why it seems like he has a lot of movies that are all over the place yeah. and some different environments. This one felt not like a bottle movie necessarily, but most of it happens in one location. That's very true. And it's a really, really dark location. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about that when I watched it for the second time about how just gross the setting is. It's so gross. And it, I mean, it's underneath a zoo. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if that's actually the set of where they. I'm sure it's not. That would be <laughs> that would be very ridiculous. But still, just conceptualizing the fact that it's supposed to be 
yeah, I yeah. can only imagine that would probably be exhausting. And an abandoned part of that zoo. As yeah, well. exactly. Exactly. Like essentially a dungeon. Yeah. Ugh. Shyamalan appears in the movie as Jay, the fast food loving concierge <laughs> of the apartment building where Dr. Fletcher works. They watch the security cameras after Barry leaves the building. Yeah. Because yeah, he's I in know. all his movies. Yeah, I loved that. Yeah. <laughs> Gives himself just like a little Hooters is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that because he heats up the wings and yeah. she's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why would you do this? <laughs> That's such a fun conversation that they yeah. have in the middle of this craziness. Yeah, it was. Despite Kevin having 24 personalities within him, only eight are shown on screen in this particular movie. Yeah, I remember I was trying to count them and we saw a little bit in the, I guess, the computer. And those count within those eight. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. Orwell and Jade were the two that we hadn't seen Kevin actually show us outside of the computer screen. Right. The last time Barry visited Dr. Fletcher, you can see how he opened the front door using Dennis's yellow washcloth and then putting it in his pocket after walking in, showing that it had been Dennis all along pretending to be Barry. Oh. So that's one of the biggest telltale signs before she even calls him out on it. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't I don't think I noticed it until he adjusted. You remember the part where he adjusts like the the bowl of the the lollipops. Mm -hmm. That's when I was like, I caught it the second time I watched it. Yeah. That and his almost forgetting the drawings. Yeah. Yep. That he's supposed to be super obsessed with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When Dennis as Barry is walking down the spiral staircase from Dr. Fletcher's office, the camera focuses on the stained glass window on the ceiling. If you count each piece, they add up to 24, possibly no. foreshadowing. No, they don't. That there are actually 24 personalities, not just 23. Oh, my God. That's, that's ridiculous. I love. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a detail that's appreciated. Mm -hmm. that's, I would have never. No, I'm not that perceptive. Here's another one that goes along with it that I wouldn't expect anyone to catch. But I love the fact that somebody thought of this to make this inclusion. The flower in the bathroom mm -hmm. is a protea pincushion. Oh. It was named after the Greek god Proteus. In Greek mythology, Proteus had the ability to change shape and form at his will. Oh, my God. I love that. I love little details. Like, who was that for? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like almost like dramaturgy, like from like who would who is doing that on the production? Mm. That's so good. The color pattern of the wardrobe also corresponds to the color pattern in Unbreakable, where purple clothes correspond to supervillains. Mr. Glass wears a purple overcoat and drives a purple car, and Barry wears a purple coat on his first visit to Dr. Fletcher, and green for heroes. David Dunn wears a green raincoat, Dr. Fletcher has a green scarf, oh, wow. and when Casey's white shirt is ripped by the beast, it reveals a green undershirt. Wow, I've never, I picked up on it with Unbreakable, but I didn't pick up on it at all with Split. It carries over. Split felt less thematic. Mm -hmm. Unbreakable felt very like I could follow the theme. I caught it every time it was presented to me. Split, yeah. it was much more subtle. Yep, totally. But I love that it stays consistent before yeah. we even knew it should have been. That's true. It's very, uh, that's great. Wow. We mentioned this in the Unbreakable uh, cast a little as well, but it's worth repeating here. A young Kevin Wendell Crumb and his abusive mother are speculated widely to be seen briefly in Unbreakable. <laughs> the scene at the stadium of which David Dunn brushes past his mother and Kevin and senses child abuse just before he confronts the drug dealer thereafter. In this movie, you learn that Kevin himself is a victim of child abuse with his mother being the abuser. You also learn that his dad left on a train. 
Right. Whether he left on the same train that crashes at the beginning of Unbreakable is left ambiguous. But I think we know. I think it's way cooler if that's the yeah, case. Yeah, because I thought about that at the end and realized that there were trains in both movies. And mm-hmm. I was like, wait, are those? So, yeah, I would be way cooler if they were yeah. actually tied in. They better be tied in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the forest shotgun scene in this movie is very reminiscent of the kitchen gun scene in Unbreakable. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. About someone threatening with a gun, not ultimately shooting it. and Right. Yeah. Like superhero David Dunn from Unbreakable, Casey Cook's first and last names begin with the same letter. <laughs> Much like comic book characters such as Peter Parker, Bruce Banner, Matt Murdock, Reed Richards, Lois Lane, etc. Wowie. Etc. 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 Good one, Hedwig. Starting starting early. <laughs> <laughs> the dialogue about the beast contains a lot of language that overlaps exactly with dialogue about Mr. Glass. Dennis says the beast is not a mistake, whereas Mr. Glass says, quote, I'm not a mistake. Mm-hmm. They also use the words extraordinary and human evolution to describe each mm-hmm. and say the world will understand now. The description of the beast given by Dennis also matches the description of the villain described by Elijah's mother. Long mane of hair, muscular, fingers twice as long as normal. Oh, wow. I'm sad I didn't watch Unbreakable because I, I totally missed that or didn't rewatch Unbreakable. Well, the thing is, how many people would, unless you were like, the biggest super fan of Unbreakable <laughs> yeah. and just watched all of Shyamalan's movies. There's a 15 year gap between these movies. Yeah. Who would make these connections? Right. True. True. People will now once Glass comes oh, out. Oh, totally. Totally. In order to prevent leaks, the final scene was not included in the shooting script and also omitted from all test screenings. During filming, however, James McAvoy was told that Kevin had originally been created for Unbreakable while remaining unaware of the narrative connection between the two films. Wow. So he was aware that the character was omitted from the first movie, but didn't know that they were going to tie them back together at the end. What a treat. Mm -hmm. And lastly, the words Mr. Glass are the last words spoken in both this film and Unbreakable. Yeah, yeah, because at the end with Bruce Willis, he says Mr. Glass to the answer of the... Oh my god. And then the god. first one they call me <laughs> Mr. Glass. Much hills. Do you think oh. the last movie is going to be Mr. Glass? I don't know. I don't know, <laughs> but I'm just I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Yeah, I, me too. It's going to be so good. I I absolutely love Unbreakable. I will say right away with this movie, I had not watched a Shyamalan movie since Unbreakable. Like yeah. I missed all the ones in between. But yeah. when I saw the trailer for Split, I was drawn in really hard. And I don't know if it was because the story just interested me so much mm-hmm. or if my brain was picking up on similar presentation things that reminded me of Unbreakable and I just wasn't consciously aware of it. Yeah, it could be a combination of both, too. Yeah, um, I didn't know that it existed until you guys <laughs> until you guys introduced it to me because i've been uh i've just always and i think this is sad and this i, I think should be talked about i've always heard really bad things about the films that he directs mm-hmm. so i've never really like delved into them i think i've watched the mist and what the other one village mm-hmm. um i've seen them in passing but i can't remember them enough to to i guess uh form any opinions on them but yeah, I hadn't seen either of them. And once I think watching them in conjunction with each other was really important too for me to be super invested like I was. 
But yeah, no, they were executed so well. I think he worked against himself a lot, like kind of being the director that always includes a big twist. It became expected of him. And he kind of made himself the butt of jokes in doing that. Maybe, because yeah. he set an expectation that people now expect. And if you expect that. Yeah. And it's a genre that's so widely criticized. Mm-hmm. Um, he's trying to make people take, I guess, I don't even know if I would call it horror, but horror psychological thriller genre more seriously. Mm. And it, it takes a lot almost of exploitation to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes with a lot of criticism. Sure. But Ultimately, I think the uncomfort that it presents you with and and the, I guess, I mean, it's a story about trauma, ultimately. Oh, absolutely. And especially the way that it ends. I mean, I had a few issues with it, but the way that it ends is so much more satisfying. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it's a three-part series that's spanning over 15 plus years. Yeah, yeah. Like, what? It's so rich. It's so good. One of the things I'm most curious about is how these two tones are going to blend together. Yeah. Because the feel of unbreakable is so different than the feel of split, but somehow it works in its favor. It does. Yeah, it's almost like it was supposed to be that way. Mm. Um, and I don't know if this was, I haven't really watched any interviews with him about this film in particular, but I don't know if it was intentional or if he kind of just put it on the back burner and then decided one day he was going to commit to making split. But yeah, I feel like it wouldn't be as impactful if it weren't that way. No. So let's get into the movie itself. Uh, I have kind of beat by beat notes. We can kind of find our way through and make our comments as we go. Okay. So the movie opens up with the birthday party. We see Casey there uh, established quickly as a troubled outsider. You see her quote unquote friends kind of talking behind her back as she's looking out the window. Uh, And we also hear meet Kevin, but we meet Kevin as Dennis for the first time, even though we don't know him necessarily who enters the car and knocks the three girls out with whatever spray he's using. Uh, That scene, while incredibly disturbing, (laughs) was also the the pacing of it is a little strange because you would think Dennis would be quick acting, but he takes his time with everything he does. He's incredibly methodical, like even when he catches Casey trying to get out of the car slowly, he doesn't just like throw the mask on his face and sprayer he takes his time to wrap the mask around the back of his head and he's not quick about it at all no there's no there's no sense of urgency he knows yeah. the power that he wields yes. yeah it's terrifying it's terrifying and i think that's why um and i think that's such a great representation of a predator mm-hmm. and someone who is representing what dennis was representing mm-hmm. And that personality, because I mean, he gets in the car and he is un- he's unhappy with the situation in the car and starts to try to clean mm-hmm. before he even tries to stop the girls that are around him from noticing that it- he's not, you know, in fact, their father. Yeah, it's not even objective first. It's yeah. let's make yeah. my environment more palatable for me. For myself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, God, this is such a chore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. And I that's that was actually the moment, which is like the first 10 minutes of the mm-hmm. freaking where I was like, okay, guys, I don't like this. I'm leaving <laughs> um, because I think it is. I, I think it is such a, a, oh God, such a true representation of what a predator would look mm. like and, and be like in human form. Sure. The opening credits themselves are uh, short, but also foreshadow a whole bunch because as we see the credits tile, they also break into 24 boxes. Of course they do. Granted, we would have no way of knowing what that possibly means at that point. Yeah, at that point. It's really more for the people who do go back and watch. Mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) 
Yeah. But appreciated. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Thank you for rewarding us. <laughs> they wake up in an unknown location. Uh, Dennis enters and pulls Marsha out of the room. He's going to make her dance. And as she's being pulled out, that's where Casey grabs her and was like, pee on yourself, pee on yourself. Yeah. Which for me, when we first watched that, I was so confused. Like, why? What? And then the second time around, um, it made sense. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't even thinking about Dennis's OCD. I was thinking yeah. that that's what somebody who is sexually abused knows to do yeah. as an avoidance tactic, which means that they're already giving us a lot of backstory on Casey in that Casey. one moment. Right, right. We get the first flashback here uh, of Casey as a five-year-old girl. She's in a restaurant with her dad and Uncle John, and they're on their way to a hunting trip. Mm-hmm. So, and, and we don't get a ton of information here. We just kind of get the initial setup, and we come back to that several times throughout the movie. Uh, we also meet Dr. Fletcher for the first time here, Karen Fletcher, who has an email waiting from someone named Barry, and it's urgent. I love Dr. Fletcher so much. She is amazing. I think those scenes are the like my favorite form of writing in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's like the sciency part. It's the part where we're actually trying to break down DID and talk about what DID is in the world that we live in. Mm-hmm. It's not as taboo in the world that we live in as it is in the world that he's creating for us, obviously. Yeah. But it's it's taken to an extreme and she is doing everything she possibly can to make people understand it. And mm-hmm. I think with that, she became my, one of my favorite characters. Yeah, no, she's fantastic in yeah. this movie. She's amazing. Uh, Barry, another of Kevin's personalities, visits Dr. Fletcher, claiming the email was no big deal. Karen notices some out of character behaviors, though, like you mentioned earlier, the uh, adjusting of the bowl, the forgetting of the drawings, things like that. Yep. Which is crazy to me that she already is managing this single individual that has several personalities that she's met mm-hmm. that is now a personality that is trying to be another personality just mm-hmm. to deceive her. And she's catching on to it. And she hasn't actually met Dennis yet. She's only heard a description. So right. she's presuming it's this other personality who she's never actually never encountered. Actually, yeah, I love it's it. It's bonkers. She's so good. <laughs> Uh, we get that weird scene with Karen's neighbor that I felt could have been omitted from the movie because it doesn't really serve any function. Karen's neighbor. She goes, uh, her neighbor calls her over and is like watching probably some sort of a game show. And she's like, I don't know how you work oh, with those yeah. people. Yeah. It's a brief little scene, but it does nothing in the scope of the movie. So I, yeah. I was very. I think what it was trying to do was to set up like that world making mm-hmm us understand that people do not understand DID mm-hmm. and she sees these people. It was, I think it was our first, our first representation of her viewing someone who has DID as extraordinary as almost better or mm-hmm. more elevated than normal people. And the skeptics. Yeah. It showed us people who, it showed us a normal everyday person. Her neighbor they, is literally like, I don't believe in that. Like, yeah, let like, me just discount your like, entire career. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like your mom who doesn't respect the things that yeah. you're doing. Yeah. yeah. It's basically what it was. And Karen doesn't flinch whatsoever. She's just like, no. oh, no offense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it's almost like a, we're learning what, what she has to go through mm-hmm. um, and what her, her struggles are. Mm. The girls then hear two people talking outside the door and they scream for help. But when the door opens, it's Kevin dressed in women's clothing. And now we've met Patricia. Fucking Patricia. Who is. And I'll, I'll say this at this point because it's going to come up uh, and it's going to come up many, many times over the course of this podcast. This is by far James McAvoy's best 
performance oh, ever. Absolutely. He is amazing. Yeah. This is his audition tape that he can use for the rest of his life mm-hmm. to show what he's good at. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, no, this, I almost feel like it was built for him. He did a fantastic job. I had some issues. I'll be honest. I had some issues with some of the accents. Okay. Like the like the northeastern American accents, like sure. the Boston, New York accents, kind of bled together. But no, everything else was. But I I think we can also write that away because we have to remember he's not actually those people. Oh yeah, like absolutely. he's not actually a British woman. Absolutely, <laughs> he just absolutely. thinks he is. So may, right. that's the accent of somebody who thinks they're a British woman. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it works, too, because we do see them kind of meld and mesh into each other throughout the film. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't think it it doesn't pull me away from him. It doesn't take me out of the world at all. Yeah. But uh, Yeah. No, he did a great job. Yeah. He's unbelievable in this. The girls later meet another of Kevin's personalities, Hedwig, a nine year old boy. Hedwig is my favorite of yeah. <laughs> all the personalities and being someone that works with children. Uh, I, I recognize the mannerisms of a child right away. These were so spot on. I love the et cetera thing. <laughs> yeah. I think for me, that was what showed me how great of an actor James is. Yeah. Um, is Hedwig in specific. Yeah. Um, Cause I think we have one of the most emotional moments that we see him have is with Hedwig crying to Casey, uh, which for me, and that's like a right up in your face. Like you have a camera right there. Mm -hmm. Like it's right there and you're crying. What was he crying about? It was something really silly, but it was still really, really impactful. Yeah. Casey tries uh, reasoning with Hedwig to help them get out. And at this point they're starting to figure out that Kevin's personalities are distinctly separate. They're not sure what's going on at this point. Cause it's to think about this situation in a reality (laughs) like setting is crazy because not only is the kidnapping insane Mm -hmm. you put on top of that this person who they're like what the hell is going on here Mm -hmm. they're just trying to even figure out their kidnapper right yeah like who is this person okay so you're not only a crazy man but you're also several other people Mm -hmm. or presenting as several other people because i think when we meet hedwig he's sitting on the ground with the door wide open yep just and it's the creepiest. I think it's the creepiest introduction that we get from one of the personalities. Mm. And he's just staring at them. And you're like, what the fuck? Because that's what a kid does is they just yeah. sit on yeah. the perimeter. And, and just I'm pretty watch. sure he was grinning from ear to ear. Just like, huh. <laughs> hello. <laughs> <laughs> and yep. Casey's just waking up. So she gets that like skewed perspective of him right away. And then. Yep. Oh, uh, the girls find a hollow spot in the ceiling, which they then break open. And Claire crawls up into the vent. She comes out into another part of the building and makes a break for it. But Dennis finds her and locks her into a closet by herself. I do find it interesting, too, how certain personalities take over when they're needed. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to kind of there's so many parts of the story that I wanted to know more about. Mm -hmm. uh, But I understand you can only delve so much into it. But poor Claire Poor, poor Claire. What a problem solver. And every time she solved her problem, she found herself into another one. I felt so bad for her character. Mm-hmm. Like out of all of them, I felt so bad for her because she, she tried always, so hard. She had so much gumption and she had so much just like, Ugh. yeah, but she yeah, sadly did not prevail. And I think that's kind of what they were trying to show us is Claire kind of represents, if I were to guess, the kind of invincible feeling we all have at some point in our lives. We're like, we haven't gone through whatever we're going to go through. Yeah. And we're all like, I'm 
I'm unbreakable. Yeah, yeah. In a yeah, way. Honestly. And kind of destroying Claire over the course of the movie is also destroying that kind of notion. And it destroys your hope as an audience member. Mm-hmm. At least for me, I think I invested in her journey more. And as I saw her kind of break down, I started to break down. And yeah. Karen is speaking to a conference online about DID or dissociative identity disorder and her patients. She claims that certain patients can alter their body chemistry with their mind. Uh, And I love the whole scientific tie in of this and mind over body and all that stuff, especially with like a background in hypnosis and everything. I just kind of love this whole idea. But I also this is where I also felt like Shyamalan has built a career that starts to work against himself because already I'm looking for something else because I'm like, where's the twist? It's going to be real. It's going to be something more and bigger. And yeah, where's this crazy thing that's going to grow? And that was that. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. Once we learned that you could see what was coming, Mm -hmm. which does sort of kind of ruin it for you. I wonder if there was, there would have been a better way to tie that in without letting the audience know at that point. Mm. Uh, Because I I felt myself feeling that in a lot of scenes, like understanding why the choices were made, but Mm -hmm. wondering, could you have done this better in a different way? Maybe at a different time. I feel like with any other director, we would continue watching the movie going, is this real or is this not real? Yeah. But I think because it was a Shyamalan movie, we're like, oh, it's going to be. It's definitely real. Right. Yeah. Because that would be the thing he would do. It's very true. Patricia takes Casey and Marsha to a dining room and gives them some sandwiches. While she's preparing them, Marsha hits her with a chair and runs. Patricia catches up and locks her in another room by herself. She also mentions that the girls were chosen because, quote, they've always been protected. They've never truly suffered. Yeah. And this is also where Dennis tells Casey that the beast is coming for all three of them. It's one of the first mentions of the beast. Yeah. This was an interesting scene, too, because it was the first time... We've seen the girls get just a little bit comfortable for even a split second. And as soon as they do, that's the point at which Patricia is like slamming the counter and being like, I cut it wrong. And then that breaks that comfortable sense right away. They know that they need to do something, which I appreciate because if they would have just sat there and then been taken back into the room, I would have raged. Like they actually made a choice that I think was a little bit. It made sense as to what you would do in real life. What a horrible hit with that chair, though. Did virtually nothing. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. And then I really appreciated that. I mean, Casey was sitting there the whole time trying to make her stop because mm-hmm. she knows what happens mm-hmm. when you retaliate in these moments. And so she did it anyways. And Casey still tried to, you know, help her. She was never a coward. She never she was presenting as one, but mm-hmm. she never actually backed down, which was she was very strategic about where exactly. she interfered. You could tell she had more experience. Mm-hmm. Hedwig visits Casey and she convinces him to bring her to his room, thinking he has a window. Uh, But before they get there, there's the whole kiss scene, which is as awkward as it should be. And it's also (laughs) Casey wakes up in bed with Hedwig cuddling her. Yeah. And it's not sexual in any way whatsoever because it's a nine year old boy. Because it's James McAvoy. Like, and what I think is funny is if you watch their body language in that scene, he like uses her body to push himself up. He does. Yeah. And, and I think that's so perfectly like subtly uncomfortable for Mm -hmm. people who are watching that because you know that's not appropriate, Mm -hmm. but you know a nine year old would do that. And you, it makes sense. But you're also watching character. a full grown man do it. Exactly. And then you watch a full grown man just like 
plop his lips on and this. say you might be pregnant now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which was perfect comedic timing. Yep, yep. Perfect comedic timing. Uh, I love Hedwig. <laughs> yeah. And I really I don't know if you encounter this when you watch it, but because of how good a performance James McAvoy is giving when he changes his body language or his voice or becomes another character. I am even though he looks the same, my yeah. brain is doing something oh, and yeah. like altering what he looks like to me. Um, I don't think I alter. I think I just I believe it immediately. Yeah. Like the switch that he he turns on a switch. There's something that he does and it's really subtle in his body language. Mm. Whether it's just like a turn of his head or just the way that he starts to rest his face, that changes the character that he's playing and mm -hmm. you already like you know even with just the 30 to 45 minutes into the film, you know who he is. Yeah. I didn't ever visualize anyone outside of what they gave us. I wouldn't say I necessarily visualized anyone else, but I don't know. There was, I mean, I didn't, I didn't see anyone different necessarily, yeah. but my yeah. brain was like, I wonder what Hedwig looks like. And I wonder yeah, what Patricia looks like. Yeah. 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 I think I did that to like maybe a shape degree. I didn't give them like actual features, but yeah, no, I, I don't think, think I did that. Yeah. Yeah, I did think of Patricia with like, you know, longer hair. Sure. And she had dark hair in my head for some reason. Okay, she was blonde for me. I don't know why. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, Barry returns for another visit with Karen, and she calls him out, claiming that it's not Barry. Eventually, from the description of the 23 personalities in Kevin, she claims that it's Dennis, even though Dennis and Patricia have been banned from, quote unquote, taking the light, which we learn is kind of like the one in control at any given time. She also reveals that she can bring Kevin forward by using his full name, decides not to, which is a nice foreshadow for what comes yeah. later. Yeah. And kind of like you were just saying about the mannerisms, we see the shift as he's Dennis yeah. pretending to be Barry, becoming Dennis. And oh, my God. So good. That's yeah. probably the best shift that he has, too, is with Patricia or with I'm sorry, with um, Barry to Dennis. With, what do I call her? Doctor. What's her name? Dr. Fletcher. Yes. Um, you call her Karen. I think of her Dr. Fletcher in my sure. brain. Yeah, no, but he immediately goes from Barry into straight into Dennis and those eyebrows, like his face structure changes. Yes. And it's so good. It's so good. Even though the first person is still Dennis pretending to be Barry. Right, exactly. <laughs> and what's incredible with Dr. Fletcher, I think, and with the writing in general in these scenes is she is doing the same thing he's doing to her. Mm-hmm. And she's trying to deceive him to get what she needs and what she wants and to get her answers. True. She knows what Dennis needs without even knowing Dennis. Mm. Um, she knows that he needs love and he needs empathy and needs to be told that he's not a monster. And yeah, that was that whole scene was super, super huge for me. Yeah. Dr. Fletcher is incredibly good about rationalizing and telling Dennis and Patricia and the Horde what they want to hear. Yep. Yep. Well, because I think... At least I like to believe she knows that inside of this situation, these are people mm -hmm. and they they need what people need. Sure. Um, and she doesn't look at them as monsters. Right. That's why I love her so much. She even refers to the undesirable personalities, not the evil or the wrong or the mean, but just the undesirable. Yep. Uh, we get the thing in Hedwig's room, which I love. The whole <laughs> dancing bit is incredible. Again, showing how much he nails just being a kid. Yeah, and how just so weird it is, mm -hmm. but you, you just buy into it. Like, you don't question it. I remember the dancing from the trailer and being one of the things that I was like, oh, I have to see this. Yeah, yeah, because it could either flop and be terrible, mm. and it didn't. It went. It was very good. Yeah. That scene was so perfectly uncomfortable. It was. 
Uh, Hedwig shows Casey the working walkie-talkie, and she uses it to attempt calling for help. The voice on the other end, however, thinks she's pranking him. Oh, oh what a jerk. We meet him later. Yeah, we do. That face on his, when he mm-hmm. actually realized, oh, that was good stuff. <laughs> and then uh, Patricia comes forward and brings Casey back to her room. Oh, yeah, that was bad. Yeah. Poor Hedwig. We get another flashback, probably the most disturbing of all of them. Uh, we see Uncle John, who wants to, quote unquote, play animals with Casey, saying she needs to take her clothes off because animals don't wear clothes. Afterward, Casey holds the shotgun at John, but doesn't end up pulling the trigger. Yeah. Yeah, I cried in that the first time I think I watched it. It really upset me. It is really, really disturbing. Yeah. And I think these are the parts of the film where I have struggled with because mm-hmm. I I know how it makes me feel and I know I haven't gone through that experience and I know some people have. Mm-hmm. So I can only imagine how traumatizing that could be sure. to see that. But also, like, I, I struggle at the same time because it's such an important story to tell. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's kind of where I've been with so many parts of this film and I think why I loved it and why I really wanted to talk about it, because it's not perfect. And he did really make a lot of people angry by doing that. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that that means that it shouldn't exist. I agree. Every story has a right to be told and some are harder to stomach than others. But a story is still a story. Right. And the fact that it can impact people, at least to the degree that I was experiencing when I first watched Mm -hmm. it, I think means a lot. Dr. Fletcher receives an alarming amount of emails from Barry, so she decides to visit Dennis at his home. Inside, Dennis explains more about what Kevin's mother did to him and the beast. Upset but hiding it, Karen asks to use the restroom before she leaves. What a smart freaking woman, too. I love her so much, and she just shoves that tissue into the door because she knows, oh, God, yeah. she's so, sm- so like, she smart. She knew. She knew the whole time. And finds Claire locked in the closet. Yeah. And what I think bothered me so much about that, too, is she was so shocked and she let that emotion take over mm-hmm. her when she could have continued to be the hero and and trudged on. But it ultimately was the thing that got her caught in doing what she did. Yeah, that that was painful for me, too. I also don't know if I would have investigated the way she did or if I would have just called the police at that case because she knows something is very wrong. Yeah, absolutely. I don't. I, I agree. And I think that's where it came, at least from what I interpreted, was her emotions just, just took over her mm. and she had to know. She had to know where they were. She had to know that, yes, he did take these girls. Um, and I think at that point, she knew that she knew her fate. Mm-hmm. And that was the beginning of her demise. And I think she made a choice where, I mean, she could have called and gotten help right away. Absolutely. But I think she made a choice to continue protecting Kevin and the various personalities because they're they're still the most important thing in her life, her patients. She's doing everything she can to help them. And that would be the end of a place of help if yeah. she had called someone else. Yep. Dennis knocks out Karen and leaves her unconscious, then goes to the train station. Casey gets out of her room and finds a computer that contains the video journals of all 23 personalities. This is where we first see Jade and Orwell. And Jade kind of exhibits some of the behavior that Dr. Fletcher had talked about before, needing insulin shots and having diabetes and the others don't somehow and doesn't understand it either. The fact that they're so aware of the situation they're in. Yeah, they're just as aware as Dr. Fletcher is Mm -hmm. and they don't understand it just as much as she didn't. Um, And I love that part where he's just like holding the needle and saying, if we're not separate people, then why the hell do I need this? Yeah. And they don't. Yeah. 
that was so good. So very good. It really but is. I found that was really restricting. And because I, I know that this actress is a very good actress, mm-hmm. but I feel like she was very restricted. Casey, mm-hmm. in these moments, I didn't get a whole lot. Like I, it was still the James McAvoy show. And sure. I wanted to see her interpretation of what was happening around her. And I understand that in that situation, you're more than likely just trying to survive. Mm. But man, I would love to, I hope that we get to hear a little bit more about how she's interpreting this Mm. in the next film. Because she is coming back, which is exciting. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) At the train station, Dennis transforms into the beast who runs back home. He grabs Karen who tries stabbing him, but the knife breaks. The beast then crushes her bones, killing her, which is just heartbreaking to watch every time. Yeah, it's ultimately to be smothered by the thing that you have honestly been smothering yourself with for years. Yep, and fought for. Yep. That, yeah, that was absolutely heartbreaking. And to, she did such a great job mm-hmm. in that moment. The scream that she she let out, the just the pain in her face. And when she, I think before she fell to the ground, her face was twitching, which I'm like, how did you do that? Yeah. It's so good. It was. I just love her so much. Casey locates the keys and goes to get the other girls. Marsha is dead, her stomach having been ripped open. Claire is alive, but the beast pulls her away and starts eating her, too. How vile this whole sequence is. Yeah. In that moment, I realized, like, okay, this is completely, this is running with something that I was not ready for. Mm-hmm. This is where it starts taking the twist. Yeah, and we were set up for it. Mm-hmm. They told us over and over that they were food for this beast. Yeah, I didn't, I never expected literal food, honestly. Yeah, neither did I, neither did I. Casey then finds the note written by Karen, which has Kevin's full name on it. As the beast is crawling up the walls, literally, Casey screams out his name and Kevin emerges, finally. Kevin Wendell Crumb. Kevin Wendell Crumb. She said it three times, I think. I think so. Until he finally was back. And that, I, I guess, is our that's our first time we meet him. Yeah. And he's based on when he said he was knocked out. I think he's been out of it for, I think, two years. Yeah, it was 2014. Yeah. September 18th, 2014. Crazy. Yeah. Realizing what he's done, Kevin tells Casey where his shotgun is and asks her to kill him. The other personalities quickly start emerging again, obviously to protect him. And Mm -hmm. then finally the beast returns as well. Which is so like, if you think about that and, and like, okay, yes, we're, we're talking about DID, but if you think about that in a broader scope of Mm -hmm. mental illness, thinking about depression and what our body does to fight situations like that, Mm -hmm. where we're trying to kill ourselves and the things that come up, the survival instincts. Exactly. And you see that, I think, one by one with each character. It starts off as this empathetic, don't do this, he doesn't understand, Mm -hmm. and then delves into Patricia and Dennis, and then we we emerge at the end with this like monstrous. Yeah. Yeah, really good. Casey runs away with the shotgun and locks herself in a large cage. Given the situation, probably the smartest thing to do. Uh, We get another flashback, which shows young Casey after her father's funeral, and this is where we learn the horrible truth that Uncle John has become her legal guardian and kind of <laughs> gives us the the understanding of why she is the way she is, not just from the initial trauma, but a lifetime up to that point of continuing trauma. Absolutely. And she, at that point, we realize what she is, and she's the one that's caged while the monster's the one that's outside mm-hmm. from her, um, which was really, I think, just imagery was very oh, good. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. They're giving us the physical representation of how Casey feels all the time. Yep, absolutely. Trapped in a cage with a shotgun, you know, with a bite on her leg. She's wounded. Mm-hmm. It was really powerful. 
The beast approaches the cage and Casey fires a couple shots at him, which hit, but not enough to stop him, even though they're point blank (laughs) shotgun shells. uh, He starts to bend the bars when he sees the scars covering her body. He proclaims that she's not like the others, that her heart is pure and leaves. That was another kind of hugely powerful moment in the movie. He said, um, what did he say? He, it was a huge monologue. It was really dramatic. You like that him bending the bars and seeing his face Mm -hmm. and like, Oh God, that was, it was disgusting for me. I hated it so much. And he had like blood on his teeth from having eaten the others too. And yeah. Yeah. And, and he's like, it's almost like this like Roman emperor monologue that he's like, you are awake. Yeah, exactly. And he says that, you know, the broken are more evolved. Yes. I was, that was very like, wow. Okay. All right. Interesting. And completely justifiable for everything they've set us up for throughout the movie and understanding the beast and Kevin and kind of, he's, he's like, Hey, you're like me. Yeah. Ultimately will be interesting to see where she goes with Mm. that. Absolutely. A man finds Casey in the cage and leads her out past the cages of the animals within what we now find out is the zoo. The medics arrive and tell Casey that her uncle is there to take her home. And I love this part. She does not leave their custody, which makes me think that all of this has kind of woken her up and shaken her reality enough to be like, oh, I'm not going home. Right. But okay. So that's another part. I think that I was a little, I was left with a lackluster feeling is that officer opened the door and and basically said, your uncle's here. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. It's, it's just silent, which I can appreciate. Mm -hmm. There's power in silence. Absolutely. But I think it's yet another moment where she is very restricted as an actress Mm -hmm. and there could have been maybe a little bit of dialogue where we could have seen her actual choice. It would have been more concrete, more active, and choosing to not do it. Because uh, I think at that point, it's it's easy for us as an audience to understand that, no, she's not going back. Right. Like, she just she just defeated her monster, ultimately. Yeah. Um, and the only thing that you could do even more is is give us that and, and tell us that she's making that active choice. But it was just silent, which for me wasn't as powerful. That's fair. For me, it was yeah. enough. I Like, yeah. I got it. I understood. Um, and it seems like you understood too. You just wanted to see it. <laughs> yeah. I just, I think I just wanted, wanted confirmation. For, yeah. I just wanted a little bit more. I get that. Yeah. The horde remains in control of Kevin's body and Patricia says that the beast will now protect them moving forward. So it's Dennis, Patricia, Hedwig and the beast. Now everyone else has kind of been stuffed down, which has kind of been most of the movie anyway. Yeah, ultimately, ultimately, because, I mean, they're the only ones that have accepted the beast for its its existence and encourage it to come out and have the light where everyone else was trying to keep it hidden. And I think it'll be interesting to see if there's any other additions to those personalities in the future, because that could easily be done. There will be new personalities. Oh, they've actually shown one or two in the trailers. So really, we know we will see others. I'll have to rewatch the trailers. (laughs) (laughs) And then the part that when I was watching this movie immediately gave me goosebumps. And I was like, no way, no way. The music from Unbreakable starts playing. Mm -hmm. And because I do freaking love that movie, I was like, no way, no way. And we go inside the diner. We see the reporter on the TV talking about the suspect and the name, The Horde. There's a woman there that mentions it's similar to another case with a man in a wheelchair from 15 years ago. And the whole time I'm like holding on to my desk so hard. And I'm like, oh, my God, please, please, please. 
Uh, She can't remember the name, but the man next to her does. We then see David Dunn, who simply says, Mr. Glass. Takes a sip from his coffee. (laughs) Yeah. And then credits. Dun, dun, dun. So freaking good. (laughs) Yeah. So, so very good. Such a great ending for that film. Uh, Because I think ending it with James in the bathroom, like, you know, them kind of being impressed by the fact that they're not dead. Uh, was great, but mm-hmm. then giving us that little addition at the end was perfect. And not waiting until after the credits. Like, as soon as they showed us the final title, the Unbreakable Music started, and it is a part of the movie. It's not an add on. It's yeah. really putting the entire thing into context within the universe that we've already yep. been introduced to. And I think that was a great choice. Absolutely, because they could have introduced him in the film and made him a little bit more active in the film, and they didn't do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that would have taken away from our perception Completely. as an audience. Completely, yes. Yeah, so I think adding it at the end, just giving us, it wasn't even, I don't think, like a two-minute scene. It's very short. Yeah. Um, so giving it that amount of attention was perfect. Absolutely perfect to transition into what we're going to have soon. Yes. Oh, my God, I can't <laughs> wait. Oh, so that is split. Is yeah. there anything else that you wanted to add before we wrap things up? Um, I mean, I think it's just a really beautiful and tragic tale about trauma. And um, I hope that if anyone does watch it, I hope they take away from the fact that if you are a broken person, you, you may not be a superhero, but there is something incredible about you. And yeah, that's that's ultimately one of the real reasons why I chose this. I think the things that you like the most and, and really teach you the most make you really uncomfortable. And this movie did that for me. So uh, where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, oh, watch right. your things. Check out your stuff. <laughs> right. Um, yes, you can find me on good old twitch.tv forward slash Todd That's T-A-U-D-R-I-E-L. Um, it's the same thing on Twitter and Instagram. Instagram has one extra L because someone stole my name on Instagram. Um, and yeah, that's where I'm at. I also write for Rob. So you can find me over on thegeekgeneration.com as well. Definitely go check that out. I think you'll have probably a lot of fun over there. <laughs> there are some things. Like maybe, possibly. And yeah, that's me. Awesome. Well, thank you, Todd, for being on this episode. It was great to talk to you about it. Thank you so much for having me. Random Movie Club is a production of the Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our podcasts and videos at thegeekgeneration.com, plus our live streams at twitch.tv slash thegeekgeneration. You can support Random Movie Club by visiting our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. As always, thanks to Michael McLeod of Wolfstead Music for our theme song. A link to his site can also be found on our site. Thanks for listening, and make sure you join us next time when we'll discuss Jurassic Park. See you then. Yeah.